30 for 30 podcast presents March 11, 2020, a standalone audio documentary that tells the story of the day the NBA shut down and the pandemic became real for many Americans. As told by those who lived the events of that day and built entirely through archival and exclusive interviews, including Rudy Gobert and Dr. Anthony Fauci. March 11, 2020, will tell the story of a day that started in one reality and ended in a new one. 30 for 30 podcasts presents March 11th, 2020. Subscribe and listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. We're doing it with pretty much the whole collective tonight because we've got season starting. Uh, we're doing this Sunday night um, during the Browns and Giants game. How did I let that happen? Um <laughs> But uh, the season is starting in uh, less than 48 hours. I wanted to get a lot of the folks on here who are uh, deployed throughout the country uh, covering all these teams to get some thoughts in here. We're going to start in New York with Malika Andrews and in Florida with Bobby Marks. Hi, Malika. I think Bobby has the better weather out of the two of us right now, for sure. Hi, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Bobby didn't get 15 inches of snow. I'm not bragging about the weather. You can take some of the snow. You, you can take it. <laughs> <laughs> so Malika, you're going to be in, uh, you're going to be in Denver, I believe uh, on the sidelines Christmas day. That's right. Um, but uh, one of your primary uh, beats is uh, keeping an eye on the Brooklyn Nets. Mm. And I want to talk about them coming out of the gate. They, um, you know, of all, I, there's a couple of rules I'm trying to follow of myself here. We'll, we'll see if the listeners, <laughs> we'll see if I can uh, actually stick to it. I'm not, I'm not going to criticize the rookies for a long time. Maybe not at all this season. The hand that they have been dealt mm. this season is uh, preposterous. So I'm not going to criticize the rookies. But I'm also trying not to react too much to this preseason because it's so preposterous. Having said that. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> my gosh, do the Nets look like they are going to be a B? I, you know, uh I've obviously thought they were going to be a scoring machine mm. and like, let's just say Durant looks fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're just going based off of the two preseason games, yes, the nets look like a juggernaut that could contend to win it all easily, but let's set all the hyperbole aside for a little bit and just focus in on Durant. And really that's what I'm taking out of the preseason. Yes. I was looking at Kyrie Irving because although it is, far removed, a year and a half removed or a year removed. I'm, I'm not great at math since last, or no, less months removed since last February that we'd seen Kyrie. I did want to see him because that uh, shoulder injury that he had was so mysterious. It seemed to really be affecting him. Okay. That box was checked for me in the preseason, but for Kevin Durant, really what I was looking at was how explosive is he? How willing is he to, he, when we were talking to him ahead of playing in his first preseason game, he said he really wanted to get into a flow on the court and see how he was playing against people. He said that he believed that he couldn't hold anything back because if you do, that's the moment. And we've heard this from other athletes that you could potentially, uh, expose yourself to getting more hurt than if you just go at it a hundred percent, but really he looked great. He is 
poised to be someone who could help to demystify, destigmatize, and change the way we talk about Achilles injuries in basketball if he continues to go on the way well, he's going on. And yes, it's, and, it's and age if he gets, and, and all if he that gets, stuff. And if everybody gets 550 days to cover. I mean, that's, I mean, I sure. Mean, there is insane. that, but there's that, that's also, you know, it, it's obviously, it's a harder choice to make that much take to take that much time to recover if you have a season that is being played. But when you look at the recommendation for coming back from an Achilles injury, we see a lot of players attempting to come back on an accelerated timeline. And yes, Kevin Durant had that as a luxury and not having really any pressure to come back because there was a break. There was that coronavirus hiatus. And then he also opted out of playing in the restart. But there are some players who would have gone back and played in that restart. And so potentially that timeline is something that other players could, although it would be harder if there's actually games being played without you, be something that other people try to maybe emulate if they know they can come back at a level like this. Yeah. I mean, Bobby, the Nets were in the seventh seat. I don't blame uh, Durant and Kyrie for not coming back in the, uh, I don't think oh, Kyrie yeah. was right. I, mean, I don't it's think not a blame. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I, but it would have been interesting to see what would have happened. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, well, you look at the odds makers, it went way up when there was a thought that maybe they could, yeah. but alas. Yeah. Bobby, um, they, they don't really defend. I don't know how they're going to defend, um, but you look at them, and if you're, if you're out there in the Eastern Conference, I mean, you're going to – that's a team you just, you just got to watch. They're going to be so interesting to watch, especially early on. Well, and I think too, Brian and Malika, that two of their better players last year are now sixth man of the year candidates. <laughs> I mean, Karis mm-hmm. Levert and Jared Allen. You know, those two guys are are, are coming off uh, off the bench. And Brian, I follow your rule also regarding preseason. I don't like to talk about preseason. I don't like to get hyped up about preseason. But I, I think I've tweeted once, and it was about Kevin Durant. <laughs> that was the only time I've mentioned <laughs> anything about preseason and how how good he looked. And yeah, I mean, I think. If you ask me right now, before the season starts, I think they're probably the third best team in the, in the Eastern Conference behind um, Milwaukee and Miami. But I think you can make an argument for Milwaukee, Miami, Philadelphia, um, certainly Boston, um, and Brooklyn as one of those teams to, to get out of the East. Yeah. Um, Duran is, I think, going to be must-see TV for a while here, especially because the way they are playing offense, it's uh, – you know, right now it looks very good. We'll see what happens. Health, Kyrie, post-ups, whatever that stuff was. I still, you know, I'm I'm turning I'm trying to turn over another leaf, but I'm not going to pay attention to anything about Kyrie unless it happens on the on the court, on the court. Kyrie goes off the court. I'm going to let it go on the court. I'm I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that he wants to post up. Um, Bobby, before we move on to our, our next group, I, uh, I wanted to ask you about something that Daryl Morey did today. This wasn't on our um, agenda, but I can't help it. So, of course, the Rockets and Philly are in some level of discussions about James Harden. Today, Daryl tweeted, which is always an interesting way to start a sentence. Mm. Uh, on this day one year ago, my Twitter memories via on this day. I don't know what kind of app he's using there. I don't know what kind of weird thing. I don't know what this all is. But it was from a year ago. It, it was uh, him tweeting, congratulating James Harden with this big graphic. James Harden breaks Calvin Murphy's franchise assist record. 
and uh, why is Daryl Morey tweeting about James Harden right now, Bobby? He deleted the tweet. What the hell is he doing? <laughs> Daryl, come on. Come on. I think he is I, I think he's setting the stage for something down the road here. And I don't think it's I don't think it's in the next I don't think it's in the next week here, but it is a fascinating negotiation, Brian, between two organizations that know each other very well. That Daryl Morey has basically trained Raphael Stone, their general manager in Houston, Eli Witzes, who's their assistant GM. They this is the most interesting part because they know each other so well. I mean, there's nothing, there's no, there's no hidden agendas as far as how these, these two men. I don't know how this really is going to go because when the Clippers did the trade with the thunder, the big Paul George trade, Michael Winger, who was there for a decade was, who was with Sam Presti, Sam Presti's top, one of his top guys for a decade was in, was with the Clippers, but he took himself out of the negotiations. He, I mean, I mean, he was obviously intimately involved, but he was not doing the talking back and forth because it would have been awkward. I don't know how you would do it here. You can't, you can't go that way. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a situation. It really, it's very unusual in general for an executive to immediately switch teams, a top executive to immediately switch team, to go from president or head GM to GM. It's only happened like, since I've been covering the league, maybe two or three times, like Masai Ujiri, Brian Colangelo, it just hasn't happened that often, Bobby. And then to do a trade that potentially sets each team up for the next five years, and um, which is another reason why Daryl shouldn't be tweeting about this. But uh, I think it's going to be interesting because the nuances of this negotiation are going to be so interesting. Also, Daryl Morey, in my view, and this is not a character assassination, I'm just a statement, he is not credible with what he says publicly about his trade intentions. So he comes out the other day and says, we are not going to trade Ben Simmons. I do not find that credible. In addition to the fact that very good reporters have reported that Ben Simmons is available. And I've heard myself that Ben Simmons is available. So, um, And you have to deal with Daryl's whole media ground game which is a whole nother thing. Um, I don't know how it's going to go, Bobby. I really, I don't know if I think it's more likely that a deal happens because of their relationship or a deal doesn't happen because of their relationship. Well, one thing for sure, Brian, is that Daryl Morey is not going to remove himself from these negotiations. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can agree on that, that he will be in the, in, 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 in with both feet in the deep end here. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Bobby and Malika. We will talk to you as the season unfolds. Have a good week. Enjoy your week. Malika, travel safe. Thanks, Brian. Tagging out for the next. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. All right, now joining us from Oklahoma City is Royce Young. Hello, Royce. Hello, Brian. Good evening. And joining us from New Orleans 
is our man on the scene there, Mr. Lopez, Mr. Andrew Lopez. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Brian. Um, hosting uh, my Ohio State Buckeyes coming down for uh, the Sugar Bowl. That is uh, correct. Um, Controversially so, but never not, mind that. Not really. That's another podcast. Not really. Um, <laughs> so uh, first thing I want to talk about is uh, Zion Williamson uh, in the preseason. Um, so the Pelicans only played two preseason games. Not like we're going to have a uh, – I think we're going to have a lot um, to go on by that. But uh, Andrew, Zion has looked pretty good. Um, I've read a lot of your coverage uh, about stuff that Stan Van Gundy has been saying about this team. He is very effervescent for as much as Stan can be about where he thinks this team is. Zion, um, I said on a podcast last week, um, I heard he lost over 25 pounds from where he was in the bubble to where he is now. I think the Pelicans idea would like likely to see him keep going, but from where he was in the bubble, where he was not physically in the best condition to where he is now looks different. What have you seen from Zion and the Pels early on here? So I, I heard that exact thing that he was, he had, he came in lower. He came in in much, uh, much better shape than what he was. But uh, I think the biggest thing going back and looking at his, his preseason uh, and the number that jumps out, yes, he's at 28, 28 and a half points a game, average a double-double. He had 11 in one game, nine rebounds in the other. Uh, the biggest thing to me is the 33 and a half minutes. By, by far the most important Zion stat, um, uh, maybe the most important preseason stat of any right now is the fact that he's playing that much. Um, on Friday when they played the Bucks, he played almost 34 minutes, which would have been his highest – uh, total of any game last year in regulation. Um, and Stan Van Gundy even kind of mentioned it to us uh, maybe last week it was, maybe er- earlier this week. Uh, they're pushing him as much. Like he's tired in some of these games, in, the, in these two preseason games, and they're pushing him to uh, to get to that 33 to 34-minute mark. I asked him, you know, because, because you're early in the season, because you had two preseason games, because of the offseason that wasn't really an offseason, uh, will, will you go like maybe 11, 12, 13 deep early on to kind of get some guys fresh? And he's like, well, then when do we get them to the 34, 35 minute mark? We have to push them now. And, and Zion being a case of that. So, uh, he has looked really good. He, they're, they're doing a lot more different things with him. Uh, there were a couple of times where he brought the ball down the court, uh, so far in preseason, uh, whether I think it was, I remember one time it was like Lonzo's had a screen for him and then there were some other actions they, they did off of that. I think they're really going to try, and I think what we could end up seeing this year is the player we thought we were going to see last year offensively. Defensively, he's still got a, a little bit of a ways to go, though. Yeah, I think Stan said that uh, you know they're going to look at him at the center spot uh, as well in certain lines. Yeah, they're going to they're going to give him some some spot minutes there. It'll depend on matchups. Obviously, they've they've got Stephen Adams. They've got him on the extension. Um, and those two have been a ridiculous offensive rebounding combo. Again, it is preseason. It's a sh- it's Miami didn't have players. Uh, Milwaukee didn't have Giannis. I mean, but like Steve Adams pulled down seven boards the other night. Uh, it, it's going to be hard for teams to to deal with both of them. But I, I do think you'll see some Zion at the five minutes, which means Nicola Melli will be at the four 
in those, uh, I, I guess possibly winning Gabriel down the line once he becomes a little bit healthier. But Melly can kind of, I guess, guard fives a little bit uh, on, on one side, play the four on the other, open up some spacing. So it's it's going to be uh, interesting. I think that's the, 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 the word I keep coming back to when I think about what the season is going to be. And I kind of, I guess it all kind of starts with, uh, with Zion. So Zion, his efficiency in the paint is crazy. I mean, <laughs> even though he's not that big and even though, I mean, why not that big? I mean, he's, so is he six, six, so the list six, six, six. Yeah. Okay. In other words, he's not, and even he's though not a seven footer down there now, right. And even though he's known for his explosion, which he's going to do his fin and this was, been true since duke but his finesse in the paint even though he's heavy left-handed like his finesse in the paint <laughs> is really impressive and you know you i agree with your your minutes per game what was he at the foul line in the preseason he was he was 10 of 11 in the first game uh and i, I forget what he was in the second one but overall like, like maybe six of eight or something or six i think it was I mean, maybe he got the line a little bit more than that actually he ended up he ended up shooting uh, 77% from the line okay. from, from, and, and that's a, that's a big jump. He's been working with Fred Vinson, the shooting coach there, uh, who we talked about last year, working with Lonzo, working with Brandon Ingram, getting those numbers up. He's worked with Tyreek before he's worked with Anthony Davis before that's his thing. And I think that's also now Zion's PD coach pregame. That's, that's who he's running, uh, running pregame with. So all great things, but yeah, that, that free throw number is, is huge for them. Yeah, he shot 64% last year. That's how you stop him. You foul him. If he gets it up to 75 to 80, you're talking about <laughs> potentially even more explosive. So I would say, um, talked a few minutes ago about Kevin Durant. Probably, I you know, I would say for me, Steph Curry looked damn impressive in the preseason. That's not a surprise. We haven't seen him in a while, but Steph's going to cook. Durant looked great and Zion looked great. Those three guys was like, whoa. Uh, so if you're watching, if you're looking to see something early on on TV, and those guys are going to be on TV, check out Zion. He is. Uh, you want to want. We want to take a look at him. Um, Royce, I want to talk to you about Russell Westbrook, a guy you're intimately familiar with, relocating to Washington, um, and the Wizards are feeling a little bit of heat this year to play well. That's why they made this trade. Um. Russ got what he wanted. He got out of he got out of Houston. What's your feel on what we're going to see from Westbrook this season? I think we're going to see a return to the let Westbrook be Westbrook mentality to a large degree, Brian. Um, for better, for worse. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I I think what the Rockets did and had some success doing, by the way. I, I think a lot of people kind of harshly evaluated Russ based on how poorly the bubble went for him. And they kind of ignore the context of he had COVID going in. He had a, ham, a hamstring issue. Um, he wasn't completely healthy. And, and I've known Russell for a long time. He is, he is a 100% a rhythm player. And it takes him three or four games to sometimes find it, he, to find his mid-range jumper, to find even his finishing ability at the rim. His handle gets loose. And he just didn't have his rhythm in the bubble. Um, but people kind of forget, Brian, that you know, January, February, after the Rockets made kind of the bold play to go super small, Westbrook made a commitment, and we've talked about this before, where uh, it was Christmas Day, he played horrible against the Warriors, and he stopped shooting threes, and then look at his next two months, they were the, the two most efficient months of his entire career. So, I say all that to say, 
I don't think he's going to be efficient, Russ, <laughs> this year. <laughs> I think he's going to go back to the inefficiencies. I think he's going to his shot selection will be somewhat questionable. But I, I think he'll be more of the tour de force Westbrook, the guy that really puts his uh, his complete imprint on a game and kind of dominates it holistically. Versus the guy that was sometimes in the background with James Harden. And look, I think you're going to have the nights where Westbrook can look like one of the three best players in the entire world. And then you're going to have the nights where he makes you want to headbutt your coffee table because he does just ridiculously uh, absurd, bad things on the court. So (laughs) I I think you're going to, you're going to run into like both sides of the spectrum with Westbrook this year. I think the wizards will be good. I think Westbrook will, uh, install a lot of the cultural aspects that Scott Brooks has desperately been trying to do in terms of hard work. I know for a fact, Westbrook, you know, he, he just was not himself in Houston. You know, it was well-documented by Tim McMahon, obviously. Um, but I was at a game in new Orleans, uh, ironically enough with Andrew and the Rockets showed up to a game and Russell Westbrook is very rigid with his routines. He's always on the second bus. He's the first guy on the court when he comes off the second bus for pregame warmups. And I was kind of wondering, where's James Harden? And somebody told me with the Rockets, like, well, he's taking a private car to the, the arena tonight. And like that, like, I was like, man, I, I can't imagine how Russell Westbrook processes the fact that he is like rigidly on time, on court, ready to go, preparing for the game. And James Harden showing up like who knows when via a private car. So I think Westbrook getting away from some of that stuff and back to just who he is, I think is going to be really, really helpful for him. And when Scott Brooks left, where, I mean, I don't remember there being much of an issue there, but like, where is their relationship? Because Scott Brooks is on the last year of his contract. He's kind of coaching for mm-hmm. his, his uh, future here. Westbrook is like a rigid loyalist and the Scott Brooks move was far more a Durant move than it was a Westbrook move. It was in preparation for Durant's free agency. They wanted to install a new coach to kind of begin the pre-recruitment process of Durant, um, try to build a little bit of relationships. Obviously they went with Billy Donovan. Westbrook is a little bit more of like, you just tell me who the coach is and I'm going to play for him. That's kind of Westbrook's mentality to a large degree. Now a coach can't get in the way of Westbrook too much. Billy Donovan learned that very quickly is that coaching Westbrook can um, have its challenges, but Look, Scott Brooks went through the growing pains with Westbrook, and I think Westbrook would run through a wall for Scott Brooks just because Brooks rigidly defended him at every turn when we're everyone who was having the conversation, is Westbrook a point guard? Can Westbrook coexist with Kevin Durant? Russell Westbrook took four more shots in a game with Durant. Is that a bad thing? Scott Brooks never wavered in defending Westbrook publicly um, and, and really was kind of a shepherd for Westbrook's development. So I, I think Russell Westbrook would, would uh, you know, would run through a wall for Scott Brooks and kind of Westbrook uh, Westbrook needs to, needs to have a really Westbrook needs to play well. I mean, he's, yeah, he's not, I mean, like it's all, you know, he's, his contract is secure and everything like that, but like there's some level of questions about these on his third team in three years. Yeah. Uh, so they're both kind of going to be invested in each other. And look, I mean, the concern here is that Bradley Beal, if they miss the playoffs and Bradley Beal's like, I'm done with this. This thing's going to go sideways real fast. If they have a good year, Beal may stay invested. He could even extend uh, mm-hmm. next summer. So there's a lot well, of the Brian, I, I wrote I wrote the story last year about kind of like where does Russell Westbrook's career go? You know, as he reaches his his 30s, he's he's starting to hit the, kind of the tail end of his prime. He's had well chronicled knee issues, um, and you know how does Russell Westbrook evolve as his athleticism wanes? 
And there's a very easy comparison here. And, and I think it even, it, it's solidified even more is it's very Allen Iverson esque, you know, like uh, Allen Iverson, his career just like hit a wall. Like, you know, there was the trades that kind of happened post Philly. Um, he starts bouncing around, then, you know, goes Denver and then he goes um, ends up in Memphis and just fizzles out just immediately. And, and, Westbrook kind of, there is that kind of feeling there that it's starting to teeter a little bit. And I talked to Vince Carter about it, that these kind of hyper-athletic guys, like they can just, you can kind of burn the candle until it runs out or guys can try to kind of extend their career. And Westbrook strikes me as a guy that's going to just like put the pedal to the metal and run the engine uh, dry until it, it, until it can't go anymore. And, and, you know, I, I don't know how much longer he has necessarily, but I, I completely agree with you, Brian. I think that this year is very important for him because I think you can kind of see um, the end of the road ahead for Westbrook at some point. All right. Well, those are two guys uh, we're going to be watching Zion and, uh, and Westbrook. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you, Royce. You bet. Thank you. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. All right, now joining us. From Orlando, Florida, he covers the Golden State Warriors, but um, he's in Orlando with family right now, and why shouldn't he be? Is Nick Friedel. Hey, Nick. Ah, B. It's good to be with you again from the homeland. The bubble ended. I don't know if you heard. The bubble is over. <laughs> yeah, but in case for him to come back. It's cheaper to live at home and not pay rent in San Francisco. So That's uh, true. I'm saving a couple bucks. No protocol. You can get right into the HP Pavilion right now. <laughs> Nothing going on. And he usually lives in Chicago during the season, but he's at home with his family in Flint, Michigan, where he's from. Very, very proud Flint native is Eric Woodyard. What's up, man? Uh-oh. Right. Sorry, man. I was on mute. But, yeah, you already know, man. Always, <laughs> always represent. You know what it is. Um. All right, well, so I want to start with uh, Nick. I want to start with talking about um, uh, about the, the Warriors, who uh, I think are – I really don't know where this team is going to go this year. Um, I'm kind of out there saying I don't really like their roster. I like their top two players, and then I really don't like their roster. But Steph has looked great in the preseason, and I see no reason why he shouldn't have, if he's healthy, have an explosive year. Um Steph looks like prime Steph right now. B, he looks fantastic. He's motivated. He's in great shape. The only thing I would caution everybody on is I hear this MVP narrative, and I think it's going to be really difficult for Steph to win that award because Steve Kerr is already on record several times in training camp saying we only want him to play around 34 minutes a game. And Steph, of course, is going to push back when he can because he knows how much he means to that group. But to win that award playing on a minutes limit is really, really tough. But as far as what we've seen so far in the games, he's just at a different level than almost everybody else on the planet. And the cool part is they know that in two or three more months, they're going to look much different than they do to start the season because it takes time to learn how to play with Steph Curry and understand how many different things he can do 
from the start of a possession to the end. So he's in great spirits. He, he wishes Clay were out there, but I expect him to have a really, really big year. Yeah, I mean, um, what, is this a playoff team, Nick? As we sit here a couple days before the season, I say yes. But B, it's contingent on Steph staying healthy, playing great, Draymond staying healthy, and of course he's not healthy to start the year, but being motivated every night, the, the, like the times we've seen him in the postseason, because he is going to have to pick up the slack even more so without Clay on the floor. So if everybody stays healthy, they're somewhere between that five to eight range. But if Steph or Draymond rolls an ankle, has a knee issue, has to sit well, for a few weeks. Draymond's already had an MRI. Exactly. So not a good sign. But if if either of those two misses any any part of a couple weeks, two, three weeks, that would derail them, in my opinion. The margin for error for this Warriors group is the smallest we've seen in years. So I um... – Draymond in the playoffs two years ago was as good as Draymond's ever been, which is why they gave him the hundred million dollar extension. And last year, I don't know, you know, I I don't really blame him for anything last year. He's got to be that player again. And then they got to get something. I mean, Oubre is a free agent to be, so he's going to be motivated, but I, I just don't know. I don't know what else they're getting. I don't know what they're getting after Steph, to be honest with you, because I don't know what Draymond's going to be. I don't know what is going to be. I know that Wiggins is going to put up numbers, but so often they're empty. And I know that Wiggins may have four good games, and you're like, oh, my God, here comes Andrew Wiggins after all this time. And then another seven games where he's just he gives you nothing. And, I mean, I've watched it for years. You and me both. Uh, because I, I was on the, I actually thought that the Timberwolves were a team on the rise like three years ago. (laughs) And I watched a bunch of their games. We were, we were a team on the rise. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, so I just don't, I just, you know, I don't trust them. Quite frankly, they got a whole bunch of guys in the rotation. I don't know anything about, I don't know anything about some of these guys, but there's a name you haven't mentioned yet. And it's crucial. It's James Wiseman. And I tell you this. For as much as Steve Kerr and Bob Myers in the last couple of weeks since training camp opened have tried to tamp down expectations and made sure everybody knows, hey, this is a 19-year-old rookie. Steve's out there the other day saying, <laughs> everybody wants to believe this is David Robinson with the Spurs. This isn't David Robinson with the Spurs. This is David Robinson in his second year at Navy. This is a guy who is just getting his feet wet. I mean, he essentially redshirted his freshman year at Memphis and only played a handful of games. But this is where the optimism comes from. Then you start to hear from Stephen Draymond over the last week or so. Stephen Draymond are like, dude, this kid could play. <laughs> like, even Kerr was like, this is our starting center for years to come. He said that people have been coming up in practices and saying, I had no idea he was this long. I had no idea he could move up and down the floor this well. They are banking on Draymond to be the defensive teacher and guru for James Wiseman, and they think that Wiseman defensively can help them right away. 
So if you believe in the Warriors and you believe that Wiggins can be some different player than and more consistent player than what we saw in Minnesota and Oubre in a contract here can have a really nice season and they can both hit a little more from the outside with Steph. You're also believing that Wiseman at 19 in his rookie year can come in and have an immediate impact. And certainly when you listen to Steph and Draymond, they're talking about a player they really believe in, a young guy. And that's not something we hear from them on an everyday basis. I'm not going to have expectations of rookies this year. I'm just not going to do it, at least not for a while. I will say this, though. Minnesota Timberwolves had a very challenging situation on their plate where they had Carl Towns and LaMelo Ball, and they already had their point guard in their center on their roster, two guys who are very close in Carl Towns and D'Angelo Russell. And I think that it made a difference in, in, in the decision to go with Anthony Edwards. And who knows, maybe none of these three guys will be difference makers, but they took the guy who was not going to interfere with these two guys on their roster, who in my view, while they're good players have not proven that they are worth making those types of decisions for that decision that Gerson Rosas had to make was fraught. And, you know, sometimes we see just big decisions like that early in the draft define everything. The decision that the Hawks had about trading up out of Luca, for example, it made sense for a lot of reasons. They have a franchise player now, but that could have been a big moment when, when he decided not, because he knew if he drafted a center or a point guard, he was going to cause a problem on his roster. And so he just, he couldn't do it. So let's keep an eye on that. Um, well, and, okay. and let's add this real quickly, B the Timberwolves future dir- ties directly into the Warriors future. Cause remember the reason they, part of the reason they made that Wiggins deal to get Russell out of there. Cause they knew he didn't fit was because they get Minnesota's pick back I know, and, and they, it's top and, three protected in this draft, which is supposed to be loaded. And after that, I believe it's unprotected. And- it, it, it was a strange, it was an interesting trade in where the, the Warriors are basically saying to Minnesota, we think you're going to suck next year. going to be terrible. And <laughs> we think terrible. that even sending you D'Angelo Russell, <laughs> we know D'Angelo Russell, and we still think you're going to suck. That's essentially what they said. That's exactly what that they said. That was the trade. And so- we needed a little help on the wings, and we'll take – Wiggins awful well, contract. To they get took rid one of, of the worst contracts in the league. Russell's yeah. awful contract. They also took their second round pick. So they said, we'll take your second round pick too. Um, Eric, uh, this has been a momentous off season for the Milwaukee Bucks. It's a team you spend a lot of time around. Um, they made, by God, how many guys in the rotation are back from last year? Middleton, uh, Lopez, Giannis, and I mean, I guess Connaughton, the rest of the rotation is pretty much totally redone. They redid their whole bench, revamped their starting lineup. Is this team fundamentally better than the team that they had a year ago that got knocked out in the second round? That's tough, you know, for me. I've been going back and forth with how I feel about that. You know, I definitely think it's an upgrade and Drew Holiday. That's by far an upgrade at that position. Although Eric Bledsoe was, you know, all defensive, just what Holiday is going to bring on that offensive end, I think will help this team. Um, what I'm interested in seeing is, you know, you're moving Dante DiVincenzo into that starting lineup every night and asking a lot from him as, with a team that can say all, the, all they want. They're not trying to win the title now, but 
I mean, it, it has to be that situation. You know, they have to feel that urgency because that window of opportunity is closing. So, you know, as you said, they got rid of a lot of guys, you know, Bledsoe, George Hill, you know, uh, Robin Lopez, Wesley Matthews, Marvin Williams was older, you know, him and uh, Kyle Corver, but they got rid of those guys. But they bringing in some young guys as, you know, DJ Augustine. Well, not young. DJ Augustine's not young, but veterans. Tory Craig, you know, um, I like them picking up. Brent Forbes, Bobby Portis, you know, but I'm, I'm not sure, man. I'm, I'm interested to see it. Uh, but they're, they're, they're my pick to come out the East, you know, honestly. So I think I think they are, but, you know, we, that's, that's remained to be seen. How have you felt um, in listening to Giannis and watching Giannis, he feels about where this team is? Obviously, he signed. So, in my view, they get an A-plus for the offseason. That's, that's what they had to accomplish. But, but he seems like what I've seen, he seems to be optimistic about them. Yeah, that's how I feel, you know. And, you know, Giannis seems like he's very optimistic. And the money talks. Let's, let's, let's make that, you know, clear. It's the largest contract in NBA history. It was going to be hard to pass that up. But I think he's sold on them trying to make moves. It's not like they just settled for the same roster. No matter if it's better or not, they're trying to get better. I think that's the biggest thing for him. And he's so loyal. So people ask me all the time, like, was I shocked by him signing? I wasn't necessarily shocked. Maybe I was shocked by the timing of it. But just knowing how loyal he is and his path to the league is, like, so much different than anybody else's, that he feels that connection to Milwaukee, you know, maybe unlike most superstars to, to, to their market. So I think he is optimistic. And I think uh, – you know, he's looking forward. And, and as I said, that money talks. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's really what it is at the end of the day with him signing. Talking to people in Milwaukee, one of the things that they honestly believe is that Giannis being around his teammates ahead of this decision and seeing how his choice affected the way his teammates were acting, they think that it helped him come to the decision. Now, only Giannis really knows when he made up his mind. Maybe he made up his mind over a wonderful dinner on some Greek island in October. I don't know. It seems, though, like he really didn't have his mind made up until a day or two before he signed. They, The Bucks people I've talked to believe that, you know, there was that interesting story about the pens on his birthday where they ever gave him a pen. And he kind of, when he was talking about it, he kind of went from amused to annoyed the way the story went. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I was even talking to somebody with the Bucks, and they said even in that, you know, he played one preseason game before he signed. And in that one preseason game, the, some of the players were kind of like yielding to him and giving him the ball even more than normal. And it was one of those things where like, everybody is so on edge about Giannis, they just want him to be happy. Like, you know, do something to make Giannis happy. And it might even be subconscious. And, that if he had had to make the decision sitting on a terrace in Athens, it wasn't quite like sitting in the locker room in Milwaukee. Do you think any of that, does that, knowing this team the way you do, knowing Giannis the way you do, does any of that make sense to you? Do you think that yeah. there's a factor there? I definitely do. You know, the Penn story was interesting because, you know, he can say it all he wants, but that that's a distraction going into a season, you know, handling that business side of things and, he, he's the type of guy that, you know, he put it to bed last year. He came straight out. You know, I don't want to even talk about contract talks, you know, throughout the season. He put that out in the beginning of the last season. So I, I kind of knew he would approach it that same way and, you know, try to make it, make it as smooth as possible because he really cares about, like, he's, he's super loyal to his teammates. And um, just that mentality and knowing how he is, I, I think it definitely has validity to that. And, uh, you know, by them giving him the pins and just seeing how guys were active to him and, 
you know, just wanted to get that out the way and focus on basketball because he really is, you know, a, you know, really in, engrossed in his craft. Like he really wants to get better and better every day and focus on the game. And that was kind of becoming a distraction. It, it seems like there was, there's been some feel that Mike Budenholzer would make some changes. Has there been any, have you, have you made any feel that Bud's going to coach any differently this year, especially the way he coaches this offense, because that's where the pressure comes for them. Yeah, that's the pressure right there is switching it up, you know, not coming out with the same mindset of we're just going to do what we do and other teams have to adjust. I think he's he, he has to feel that he has been so much pressure with you being a, having a team with the best record the last two years and not even getting to the finals. I mean, this team, we know we know they haven't even reached the finals since 73-74 with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So, you know, it's a lot of pressure that comes along with, with that. And, you know, unfortunately, in the business side of, of basketball, coaches are the people that you know, get take the blame. You know, that's just how it is. So I definitely think he's going to have to adjust, and they will probably approach this regular season a little different than they have in the past because it is that pressure to get the most out of Giannis while he's entering his prime. And, and even though they know they got him locked in, it still has to be some pressure there. All right. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Eric. We appreciate it. We will talk to you as the season goes along. Enjoy it, guys. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having hey, me. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, finishing us off, here's our two L.A. gentlemen. Center of the NBA, joining us from Venice. He's usually a man about town, but right now he's quarantined. Dave McMenamin. Stuck inside, but to be stuck inside with Brian Winhorst and Ohm Young-Masuk, it could be way worse. There you go. (laughs) Our man of the Clippers, Ohm. Hey, Olm, how's it going? What's up, Wendy? I just want to know how I can go and move to Orlando and live with uh, Mama Fredell and Nick and save some rent money here because it is expensive living in Southern California. You're not kidding. Um, I want to start with uh, with the Clippers, actually. Um, so Ty Lue, uh, I think, let out of the bag today that he intends to run the triangle offense no, not 100% of the full time, but he's yeah. going to run the triangle for Kawhi. And um, the Clippers have been doing their best to show that this is going to be different this year. Now, Ty played for Phil, won, uh, won uh, titles with the Lakers with Phil Jackson. And, you know, one of the things that he said, Ohm, that was so interesting was that he goes, hey, Kawhi admired Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. We're going to run Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan stuff for Kawhi Leonard. How, you know, just in general, how do you feel about that? And how do you feel about the different attitude that's around the Clippers right now, or they're, they're trying to sell there's a different attitude? Well, hopefully somebody can email that story to Phil Jackson on his ranch in Montana so he can read that, because I'm sure he'll get a smile out of that. I mean, Ty Lu, one of the few people on this planet outside Phil Jackson that would know how Kawhi Leonard would be able to fit in the triangle, having played alongside Michael Jordan, having played alongside Kobe Bryant, having played for Phil Jackson. So this is an interesting wrinkle. And remember when we last saw the Clippers in the bubble, Kawhi Leonard was complaining about the basketball IQ on this team and basically how guys 
didn't know what to do once a play kind of like, you know, once a play wasn't going their way, uh, that there wasn't a lot of options out of that and guys didn't know what to do in certain situations. And so this will be really interesting because Kawhi Leonard, you know, he's one of the few guys that goes against the NBA trend of shooting threes. He loves that mid-range game. He loves getting to his spots. He certainly has spent a lot of time studying Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant in, in the past. Um, he was at that Kobe Mamba Academy thing um, two summers ago. So, you know, I think he, I think he would enjoy this and, and maybe to even a certain degree, Paul George. So it's going to be really interesting to see this. Dave, you know Ty really, really well. You covered him in Cleveland all those years. Do you remember him ever talking or running stuff with the triangle? I don't, but I don't have, you have a good memory for this kind of stuff. No, I, I don't recall it. And the funny part about it is that it's kind of the opposite directive of his first putting my flag in the ground when he took over the Cavs job, which was, I need my guys to run and play with pace. And we're going to do transition offense where we don't have to set up in the half court and take advantage of our, our athletes. The triangle is a half court operation that is meticulous in terms of where the ball is on the court will dictate where the cutting actions will occur. And you have to have all five guys on a string. Um, and it, it kind of limits your ability to affect the game using your athleticism and relying on, on those type of things. So it, it, to me, it's, you know, a night and day approach to taking over the Clippers versus when you took over the Cavs. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how much they actually run at home. Um, so the big difference between the Clippers this year and last year, and, you know, as I've been reading their quotes every single day, it's like Kawhi is taking a part in every practice, even the two-a-days, Paul George, every practice. Kawhi and Paul George staying after to um, to work on their, their chemistry together, staying after practices together. They are putting in flashing red lights. We are going the opposite direction of the way we did last year. Do you think, I mean, obviously you sense that. Do you think this will matter? Do you think this will uh, solve the chemistry problems that essentially hung over the Clippers from day one last year? What, Wendy, you don't think that the, uh, remember the Titans little game that they played where they had guys quiz each other to find out things that they didn't know about each other and then announced that to the whole team is going to work for their chemistry, which is what Ty Lue did the other day. I think last week he had a guys try to basically learn things that they didn't know about each guy. So I don't know. I mean, I think this Clipper team could get off to a slow start. I, I want to hear the stuff about Lou Williams that ha that people don't know because <laughs> the stuff about Lou that people do know is pretty fascinating. Well, I, we I certainly wanna... know what kind of wings he likes so and where he likes to get them from. But I, I don't know. They've looked really bad in the preseason, and I right, get it. It's the right preseason. You're right I don't like that. to put stock in the preseason, but I do think that with, the, with coming back so fast, with them trying to learn – new wrinkles and new systems and things like that. I think it's going to take a minute for this team to really start clicking again. Now, I think their hope is that come playoff time, these pieces are going to fit better. I think the Clippers think that Serge Ibaka is going to be a better addition to this team than Montrez Harrell. And on paper, you would say, well, how is that possible? Montrez Harrell was the sixth man of the year. But for the Clippers, they remember that taste is still in their mouth of seeing Trez struggle in the playoffs, struggle to guard Nikola Jokic, struggle to score on his own one-on-one -on -one to create any baskets, and they feel that Serge Ibaka is going to be able to spread the floor. Also, Serge Ibaka, with his familiarity with Kawhi Leonard, they're very close. That should help in the locker room. And so I think those things they're looking at to really become the addition that's going to help this team in the playoffs. But I think it's going to be a while until they get there. 
Is Patrick Beverly going to be their starting point guard in the playoff by the playoffs? That to me, is like the, one of the biggest questions for this team. Well, this is the one thing too, that, that, that Dave was pointing on about the triangle offense. You know, look, the Clippers don't have guys that can really run the floor like that. They don't have a playmaker who can push the pace, create baskets for other guys. It's really Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, who they have to have the ball in their hands all the time. So, you know, that may be why they're going to put in maybe two to three sets of the triangle so far as uh, Ty's talking about. Boy, it's, 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 it's amazing how different the year a year is. The Clippers, they were just so many people's pick last year, but not yours, Dave McMenamin. Mm-hmm. Um, and now <laughs> the Lakers and the Lakers, suck, you know, again, preseason, whatever. Lakers look damn good in the preseason, Dave. And uh, Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis uh, picked up. It looks to me like he picked up right where he left off in the bubble. Anthony Davis was so good last year, better than even than uh, Malik Bill's expectations were. And uh, to me, Anthony Davis is a. Uh, I, I don't know what the odds are for MVP. It wouldn't be the worst bet, you know. You obviously, get, you know, you're worried about him getting injured, but Dave wouldn't be the worst bet. Yeah, getting injured potentially and obviously having to share the ball with LeBron James and no one is anticipating a major drop-off from LeBron in that category. So I, I don't know if I'd go there, but, geez, I mean, really only played one full game, not even a full game. In the third – excuse me, in the fourth preseason game, he played three quarters and was dominant. I mean, 11 for 17 from the field, stroking it from three – Pull up threes in transition, sidestep threes. His, his in the half outside court. shooting, like, I mean, he has, if he does that, I mean, not maybe he's going to shoot that well, but he makes outside shots. It's just like, forget it. Forget it, man. Forget it. Right. Because, okay, obviously, he's, he's so long that if he rises above you, you can't contest the shot. And then, if you do play him all the way out there, then, you know, the, the spacing for the rest of the court opens up for his teammates and he is a, a willing and able passer you know, or he puts on the floor and you have to foul him. He's, he's going to get a dunk and he's a really good free throw shooter. And so, I mean, that is kind of the final frontier to unlocking his offensive game because the rest is all there. And I, I think, you know, I, perhaps the MVP argument uh, for him would be the way LeBron has already talked about it, the way he, in, he kind of invited that, uh, ribbing from president obama on uh, the shop during the off season where he said hey you know, ron you're getting up there in years and he said well what do you think i have ad for <laughs> like we can right. we can just use him we can milk him and uh i think anthony's certainly ready for it as well because the organization got behind him with that five-year 190 million dollar extension um and that will take us past the lebron james era in, in la potentially um, you know, Anthony has more years on his contract right now than LeBron does. So only thing I'll say about the Lakers, well, first off, my concern about their inability to improve their roster um, is gone because they have, through contracts that they signed, they signed an extension with Kyle Kuzma today. I thought it was a um, an okay extension. Uh, Kyle's asking price was higher. He came down and locked himself in. It's He's still going to probably be their eighth or ninth man at times. Other nights he won't be, but um, but they now have a whole bunch of things that they could trade if they needed to over the next two years, which they didn't a year ago. And so now 
as much as you and you are in love with LeBron and AD going forward, now they have some flexibility. They can do some things because I would assume they're probably going to try to keep Dennis Schroeder if he if he plays well. The only thing I'll just say about this team, I've talked about this before, they have changed their role playing identity a little bit by bringing Schroeder in, which is a very good move. I like that move, but now Schroeder wants and. I think intends to be the starting point guard. And if he's not, I don't know what's going to happen there. So you're going to change LeBron's role a little bit. You've also changed up your center rotation while you, you certainly grab Montrez Harrell. You don't think about that twice by saying goodbye to JaVale and Dwight Howard. And you bring in, you know, Gasol and, and Montrez still very talented players, but they're going to play differently and their defense is good. I don't think these are, super problems, uh, especially when you have LeBron and, uh, and Anthony Davis as your centerpiece. But I think the Lakers are going to have to adjust a little bit the way they play. And I don't anticipate it being an issue, but I do think it's something worth watching. I love these moves for the regular season right now because we don't know how much LeBron's going to have to rest, maybe even Anthony Davis too, because this is the shortest offseason we've ever seen any team go through. And so Trez and Dennis Schroeder, are perfect for carrying the load on any nights those guys are out or resting or whatever. Come playoff time, I think the subtleties you just talked about, Wendy, maybe they might show their face a little bit, but I think by then they'll figure it out and work things out. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I think I think when you guys are talking about AD, I think winning that championship mentally, that's what is going to help him take the next step, which is crazy to think that he can take another step forward from how dominant he was and how suffocating he was on defense in the finals. But I tried asking Shaq this uh, last week when I talked to him. I said, hey, what happens when a dominant big man wins their first championship? What happens that next coming season? What, what can he expect? And, of course, Shaq started to lecture me that, well, I don't think you guys should put a power forward in the same, same topic and discussion as a dominant big man because you should really be asking Tim Duncan about that. So that was a whole other thing. But to me, I think mentally, Anthony Davis, he comes into this season now as a champion, and I think he knows what he can do, what he's capable of, and how he can take it to another level is really scary. And so to me, I'm not worried about the Lakers' regular season at all. I don't care what seed they're actually going to be. Even if they're a lower seed than many people might expect, just because we don't know what's going to happen with COVID and everything, I think once they get to the playoffs, it's going to be you know turning it on right again. And they're a work in progress. I mean, that's the thing we have to recognize with LeBron James teams really ever since I've covered them is whatever the team looks like, uh, the start of training camp, the start of the regular season, uh, there is always pressure to tinker and make that team as strong as possible come playoff time. So if one of the acquisitions don't work, they could be moved come uh, trade deadline time or, uh, you know, as they look at what they need, they could, you know, get another big or get another shooter um, to fortify this roster. But what you're looking at so far is really a strong collection of role players behind the, the two, two of the top seven players in the league. That's, that's a pretty good formula. Dave, what is the state of the Clippers Lakers rivalry now? The Clippers fizzle last year. You know, I mean, do the Lakers even regard them? Are they, are they even like, I mean, like opening night, you know, they're throwing up a banner in front of their face, but, you know, like. Yeah, I, I think it's not what I think many of us would kind of like it to be. I, obviously, the Western Conference Finals, had that occurred, I think we're talking about a, a different situation. Certainly had it occurred 
when fans were going to be flocking to Staples Center seven out of 15 nights, whatever, four series like that, that would have changed it. But right now it's a team that got a lot of hype in the Clippers who had a couple guys who like to talk a lot. Well, one of those guys who talked a lot is now on the Lakers. <laughs> uh, and you have most guys on the Lakers kind of trying to be above entering into the fray with that. Now, that's, Jared, what, that's, that's the feel that I have. Yeah. Now Jared Dudley has indulged it a little bit and even LeBron yeah. to some extent acknowledged it on the road trip and podcast with Richard Jefferson and Allie Clifton and, and Channing Fry a couple weeks ago where, you know, he just admitted how surprised he was to see the Clippers squander that thing after all the talk they had done that year, they were right where they wanted to be. But I, you know, I don't think it is, uh, I don't, now that the Lakers have won, I, I think that that window of, of the Clippers being the team, the hunted, the, the team being celebrated has passed. And, you know, if anything, the Clippers have to reestablish themselves, I think, to get on the Lakers level. What do you yeah. think? Um, where, where are the Clippers I, I, at? Like the, the, the only excitement that's left right now, at least right now entering the season of Lakers Clippers is really Montrez talking trash to Patrick Beverly. I mean, I think the Clippers themselves, who I think wanted to face the Lakers and love facing them last season, now they're more worried about themselves. They've got to figure out their own problems and issues, get their house straightened out. They know that. And so like today I asked Paul George about it. I said, you know, what's it going to be like watching the Lakers get their rings on opening night? Like to see that in front of your face, is that going to be any more motivating or inspiring for you guys? And he was like, we're already motivated coming into the season. We have our own motivation, but it wouldn't matter who we would play. This is the marathon in December 22nd it doesn't matter. We're, we're, in, we're in for a long run here. I think they know they have to look at themselves and fix themselves first before they can even think about the Lakers. I agree with everything that you said. I agree with it totally. But Dave, if the Lakers come out and slap them on opening night, which could happen, <laughs> um, that's going to be it's not going to be good for the Clippers. I know that it won't matter. Just like last year, the Clippers won opening night. And ultimately, guess what? At the end, the Lakers had the gold trophy. But it will not be good for the Clippers if the Lakers slap them up on opening night. Um, no, because it, it would just be, a, it just be a reminder of the distance that is open between the, between the franchises. Yeah. I mean, Danny Green scored 28 points for the Lakers on opening night last year. And then <laughs> Lakers fans wanted him um, removed from the bubble prematurely during the NBA Finals. So, I mean, the, 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 it's a long way to go between opening night and whatever we see in the postseason. But yeah, I think it would amp up the rhetoric uh, at the very least. All right, guys. Thank you. We'll be talking to you throughout the year. Everyone, thank you for listening to Hoop Collective Podcast. Have a great holiday week and enjoy some NBA basketball. It's back. Thank you.